have to say, uh, since we're on this podcast together talking about film, this is actually the 20th anniversary of Almost Famous being released this week. <laughs> so that's something. Is uh, it Patrick Fugit? Is that his name? Yeah, it's Patrick. It sure Fugit. is. Yeah. yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Uptown Funk You Up. Uptown Funk You Up. Oh, man. Dang, that's not even the name of the song, is it? Oh, yeah, no, that's right. Okay. <laughs> hey, Bob, how you doing? I think that's fair, Dave. That's a fair <laughs> intro with no requests this week. Just a little uptown funking you up, you know? Yeah. Nice, Bob. Um, well, good to have you back in the, the sound studio, as they say. Yeah, it's good to be back, actually. And, you know, my sound studio is in my garage. Oh. And I'm realizing, you know, my garage is porous to the outside world, so I couldn't even go in here for most of the last week. So it is really good to be back here. <laughs> nice. Yep. Dang, I wish I sung a little uh, In the Garage by Weezer. Mm. Oh, well, there's <laughs> always next week. Um, yeah, Babo. Well, I feel like it's been just a heck of a week, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Have you been doing okay? How's, uh, how's everything in your neck of the woods? Yeah, it's been fine. Life is just kind of settling down. Um my school district made an announcement that we're going to go to this hybrid model in mid-October where oh, right. we're, we're going to be doing like A groups and B groups. And it seems just like a whole nother list of nightmares that just, <laughs> I mean, it's the way it's got to go. We got to be safe and we got to find all these little things, but yeah, I don't know. It's like thermometers and wearing face shields and also like trying like i don't i don't quite know if i'm supposed to be zooming in students as i'm teaching live you know or if i'm supposed to give them other work i mean there was an info session today but i was just like my head was in a different world so anyways yeah life's good and i just feel like we just got to roll with these punches that we just keep getting dealt you know yeah it's it's punch after punch and it's brutal. It's very hard. And it feels like we're not getting enough help from, you know, the government or other places. So we have to really take care of each other. We're all that we got. Yeah. And yeah, I mentioned like the air quality in California was so bad, you know, it was in the red, the, da- the unhealthy zone for six straight days. And if I would go outside for more than five or 10 minutes, my ears would start hurting because of smoke getting into my like ear canal. So it's just been such a weird week being like hyper shelter in place. And one thing that it does is it really messes with your sense of time. And I, I couldn't, you know, I, I would, get disoriented about like, what day is it? How long have we been in here? And so we finally got out yesterday and that's been, it was a real blessing. I mean, seeing the sun again felt so good. Mm, Yeah. 
Well, you only get like one or two Sundays in Santa Cruz a week anyway, so it's nice to get one, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and the the bad air is supposed to be coming back maybe um, sometime in the weekend, so we'll just have to really take take it one day at a time. We have an exciting show that actually deals with everything that we're talking about, and I wondered if maybe you wanted to actually let me let me introduce our 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 guest if you don't mind Dave um you know I don't mind at all <laughs> thank you because I was thinking about our guest and just all these great memories flooded back to me today and um just it's it's really really an honor and it's going to be a pleasure I'm sure to have our good buddy Dave Harris on the show today and I want to say that Dave Harris is a longtime friend. He's actually um, friends with you first. I believe the two of you met at University of Colorado Cheyenne Arapahoe dorm. Yeah. And that was maybe 2004-ish. Um, Dave is a um, just amazing guy. He's knowledgeable in many, many different things in the world. And one of his strengths, one of his many strengths is movies and cinema. And that's actually the primary reason we invited him to the show today. In previous episodes, I had mentioned Dave starting the music club, the digital music club that was very influential and um, really broadened both of our horizons into music. And also, Dave brought us to um, actually two more things I want to mention about Dave. One is he was the sort of organizer of the Taste of Colorado. Oh yeah, which so many, so many friends in our network participated in, and and Dave brought us to that. Those were such great memories organizing uh, those that like beverage and food festival. And then the other thing that was really special is Dave, at this time in our life, when you and I were like having a lot of like anger and rebellion against the society we we lived in, um, Harris, uh, Dave Harris put us up in Denver and we just had the best time with Nick and Dave just talking about the world, the state of affairs and um, that was a big time and I think all of our sort of political consciousness development. And so really grateful for Dave in that. And those are again, amazing memories. Mm. So yeah, I just want to, and, and Dave is married to our good friend, Allison, and they have a, a beautiful, uh, child Kai. And, um, yeah, before the show, we were talking about being a parent in the pandemic and, uh, yeah, it's presents some interesting challenges. So yeah. Do you want to say anything about, um, Dave, Dave? Yeah, I guess <laughs> before we bring him in. Oh, just, I was thinking about how, like when I see your two names, um, when I see Bob and Dave, like I think of me and you, but I'm also like, I feel like how connected we are because I, you know, I had a couple of ceremonies for when Julie and I got married and 
one was in Vermont and you were the officiant, Bob, and the other was in Colorado and Dave was the officiant. And actually we had one in California with another Bob. So we had, we got married by Bob, Bob and Dave. And I was just thinking like, oh yeah. And when Dave and Al got married, like you and I were the officiant for his wedding. And it's just like this amazing, I mean, it just shows like where we've been together and how much like mutual love and respect we have for each other. So it just feels like a real blessing. I mean, of course, Dave is going to be on the show and um, at some point, but yeah, first 20, that's always a nice one. (laughs) (laughs) So without further ado, Dave Harris, how are you doing tonight? Dave, Bob, pleasure is just all mine. Thank you guys for having me. I'm doing well. Psyched to be in the top 20. I'll just tell you that. Oh, oh yeah. Oh man. You definitely made it on our list right away, Dave, to get on this show. If I can, before we jump into it, um, I just want to say thank you both for putting this podcast together. This has been one of my talking about tuning in. This has been one of the things I've been tuned into during the pandemic and it's provided, I think such a great number one, just educational resource, but also it's been a way to keep connected to you guys, mm. even though you're not, you know, hearing from me, just hearing from from you two uh, on a weekly basis has been really great. And I've, I've kind of felt like it's almost like we're sitting at Helen Mazur's kitchen table, yeah. listening to these <laughs> podcasts that it's same kinds of conversations there. Um, just, I'm just grateful that, that you all have been doing this. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Dave. That means a lot to us that to hear that, our voices have some impact in the world is I think that's important for all of us right now with the state of the world as it is. Yeah. Um, and so to give the the listeners a little bit of background, we tasked Dave with thinking about movies and in the context of our show, thriving in dystopia, but also the idea of separation that we're dealing with this, this season and Dave came up with some great, not only movies, but sort of a lens to look at dystopia. And I wanted to see if you would sort of give the listeners, you know, those, what you came up with, and then a little bit of background of, of how you came up with that. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you mentioned that film's one of my strengths. And I thought that was funny because really, it's probably one of my strengths when it comes to trivia night. But, you know, it's mainly because I've been a student of it. I'm a big fan of it, watched many films. uh, And I have this probably not so valuable quality in that I can remember full cast lists of films. That has has no value in life other than trivia (laughs) night. Bar trivia. So I I don't know if that's a strength or not. But but anyway, I appreciate you all bringing me in. Let me just Um, also say that the two Daves can recite uh, the script of almost famous verbatim. Oh, when yeah, you two go back and forth on that. <laughs> Indeed. And we have to say, uh, since we're on this podcast together talking about film, this is actually the 20th anniversary of almost famous being released this week. <laughs> so that's something. Is uh, it Patrick Fugit? Is that his name? Yeah, it's Patrick. It sure Fugit. is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's great. But that's uh, another podcast. That's for sure. That's the, yeah, the Patrick Fugit. Fugit, uh, oh man, Patrick Fugit fan cast. Try and say that two times fast. You're not going to get it out, I promise. 
I'm just hoping you can get him as a guest. I, I think that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Can we get Fugit's people to, to reach out? The fugitives. Oh, yes. There you go. So, yeah, Bob, I'm, I'm happy to, um, to queue up this, this framework. Uh, so, so when you, you reached out to me, I, I was thinking about something that I've been uh, considering really during a lot of this pandemic. And uh, the credit's really due to uh, a guy named Brad Feld, who's an author. He's an entrepreneur. He's a, a venture capitalist. He's a, he's a big deal in the world that uh, I spend a lot of my energy in, in working with startup companies. And um, I, I follow his writing. And so he, he had this blog post a couple months into the pandemic uh, talking about just what's going on right now and what makes this such a unique time. And to summarize it, he highlighted that there are these... He, he talked about four crises that have really been amplified as a result of the current pandemic of, uh, driven by COVID-19. And those crises being public health, economic, mental health, and then racial inequity. Uh, I, I'd argue it's important to throw in there a fifth critical crisis, which is climate. Uh, and, and none of those five are really new challenges. Um, and each are extremely complex. And But what, what Brad argued was, What's unique about now is that all of these things are colliding with one another at the same time for almost the first time ever. Mm. So you have these five crises colliding, and all the while you have a government truly failing at intervention or mitigation of each of them, at least here in the U.S. And meanwhile, you know, these kinds of moments are actually really ripe for innovation from, from entrepreneurs, the folks that I work a lot with. So you ultimately have technology that comes into play a role across each of these crises. Uh, and in some cases, it's having a positive impact, right? I mean, it's, it's aiding in recovery efforts. It's allowing people to connect with physicians from home, teletherapy, helping somewhat with mental health challenges, tech powering remote learning. Uh, and helping you do the work you're doing, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, you know, enable people to report and disseminate important information about police brutality, uh, providing a platform for people of color to educate others on their experience and why we all need to wake up. So there's a lot of good that's coming out of technology, um, but it's also aiding some of these crises in a negative way. So it's helping them to grow worse. You know, it's been the medium that's allowed for, the polarization and the, the politicizing so many elements during the pandemic. So I, as, as you guys invited me to come to this, I was thinking about that lens and applying this topic of, of film to, to that framework. Um, so you have the collision of these five crises, failure of the government, impact technologies playing, and it's all leading to this very dystopian sediment that, that it's almost palpable right now. And in thinking about dystopia in film and then the separation that's caused by that, I think these five crises are a good, good framework for us to, to look at a couple different categories um, and then talk about kind of how they've caused uh, reflection in our own lives. And then, of course, how we've seen that uh, on screen. So that's my thinking. Uh, so, so in classifying these dystopian films um, kind of across these categories, I was hoping you know we could center on a few of them and um, 
specifically, you know, hoping to touch on public health, climate uh, inequality, and then certainly the political governmental oppression that, that's, that's playing a role across each of those. Love it, Dave. Yeah, that's ooh, just well said and well spoken. I am definitely was after you talked about, um, after you brought up all these categories, I was just like, yeah, it's just so interesting how they all are like playing into each other. How like, you know, the economic crisis is caused by the like quarantining and people, you know, getting sick and not being able to go to work and then people not paying rent and then people getting booted from their house, which is like playing into the mental health thing. So I feel like it just feels like, I mean, I'm just thinking of like Calvin and Hobbes where like you can just picture Calvin like rolling a snowball at the, or like Hobbes rolling a snowball at the top of the hill and it like rolls down and just like builds up. And by the time it hits Calvin, it's like a, a boulder, you know what I mean? And I just kind of feel like they're all just so interconnected as per usual, as we say on the show, but it just feels like, man, I want to like dig into this a little bit. And I'm so excited to like, really, I'm so excited to hear about all the movies that you guys picked for these categories and why, why they were, are standing out for you, you know? Yeah. Well, let's Absolutely. do it. Should we, should we jump in? Yeah. Where, um, yeah. Is there a specific category that you guys want to start with? Uh, Bob, do you want to, do you want to lead off? Maybe we could start off with public health simply because, you know, COVID sparked this sort of nice recent, you know, collision of these crises. Crises. Yep. Um, so yeah, why don't we start out with public public health? Okay. Yeah, I, I think you're right on, Bob. This is this is the one that I've been thinking about most. And um, if I can, there, there's one film in particular that has just been coming to mind for me. And uh, so it's a 2006 movie directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah. Uh, who, you know, great director, Itumama Tambien. Uh, Gravity, so many good films, but this one in particular, I think it's one of my favorite he's done and is really, I think one of the best dystopian films ever. And so it's children of men. Um, Love it. And for a little bit of background, maybe for listeners, if they haven't, haven't seen it before. So you have this movie that's set in 2027. It's taking place in England and future is bleak. Um, because all humans are, are essentially infertile. They don't indicate why. So you're sort of thrown into this world where um, infertility is this big catalyst event, and then the world's fallen apart as a result. The last birth on the planet took place 18 years earlier, and the youngest person on the planet has just died. So that's the world you enter into. So you have this inexplicable global health crisis, and you're witnessing the after effects on this cityscape of London that, that feels very near future. And, and then, you know, later in the film in the rural areas of, of England. Um, and, and what I think is really interesting about this is, you know, one of the ripple effects of, of this human infertility problem is, is this geopolitical unrest. And so you have this, this world where uh, almost every major government around the world has collapsed and, and the UK has become this desirable place for refugees to flock to. So one of the, the 
first effects in, uh, of, the, of this catalyst event is this massive refugee crisis that's happening in the film. And it, it creates a very difficult movie to, to, to watch. But, but what, what happens is you have the xenophobic environment and you have this authoritarian government that's locking refugees in cages, holds them on the streets, uh, closes off borders to refugees. And there's just a lot of social unrest uh, that, that, that's kind of around all of this. And so it's, it's, a, it's a dark film. It's gritty. There's, there's no hope. But it's one of the most engrossing dystopian movies ever. Yeah, I'm so glad you bring it in, Dave, because I, my mind just went to that movie so much today when thinking about this, and and we've talked about this movie a little bit on the show. But it's it. I'm not sure why more people aren't talking about it because it so mm-hmm. predicts a lot of where we are right now, and so. I love that you bring it in and you described it really well. And many of the parts that I had forgotten about that movie. Yeah. And I'm also noticing you didn't give any spoilers away. Are we going to give spoilers away? What do you guys think? <laughs> you know, I'm say, still ready. If you guys are, it's, yeah. it's really your show. I think I'm, I'm just, I'm just here to <laughs> spice things up a little bit. That's- <laughs> love it. I say we get, we give spoilers because it helps to f- fill out the movies and, yeah, my friend Blaze says that they've done research, and spoiling movies doesn't decrease people's enjoyment of watching those movies. So mm. let's spoil away. Okay. Okay. Well, one one thing I'll add about this movie that it's a little bit spoilery, but I think it's important because um, it drives the entire plot. So, so you've Clive Owen who plays kind of the central protagonist in the movie. He's uh, he's this former activist. And he, he sort of lost his fire when his son died from this major flu pandemic that in the movie occurs in 2008. So we're sort of to assume that this pandemic had something to do with the global infertility. And, and that's just this fascinating element to consider right now as we see this current pandemic and all the ripple effects that's causing as it's colliding with these other crises. And not to jump to the conclusion that we're going to be... <laughs> reaching global infertility, but it's it's not out of the question to assume that there's going to be other public health ramifications of what we're going through right now. Definitely. So it's just this amazing mirror to, to look into right now. And then Clive Owen's character as uh, his ex-partner is played by Julianne Moore, and she comes to him to get his help. She runs this kind of underground cell of, of revolutionary figures that are trying to help these refugees. And then there's one in particular um, that her character is helping that named Key, who's who's pregnant. So she's the first, you know, this is the first baby in 18 years. So the film then takes on this mission of getting Key to this fertility research group and then away from folks that want to leverage Key and her, her unborn child for financial or political gains. And so I, I just think this is such an incredible movie. I mean, the cinematography is, is amazing. Oh yeah. A, lo- a lot of it's shot via this handheld camera. So it has this kind of bumpy feel that makes you feel like you're really walking through this world. And, um, and in many instances, the camera's almost like lagging behind the central action. So it provides this visual of the surrounding world and the backdrop that the, the main character is moving through. So it's, it's really just incredible. Hmm. Damn, I want to watch it right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that movie like changed my life and I feel like I'm going to keep watching that movie over and over again. Um, but do you guys mind if I dig into my, my pandemic movie, please. Sweet. Um, yeah, I'm not going to spoil this movie because I feel like the end of this movie is too important. Um, and this is the only movie that I'm definitely not going to spoil because I also feel like no one on the planet has ever seen this movie. Julie and I went to Iceland and when we went to Iceland, we read in some random place that like, this is like the, the newest and like best movie that's been made in Iceland, which probably isn't saying a whole lot, but we watched this movie. It's called Rams. And the reason I want to talk about it in the pan and like sort of in the lens of the pandemic is because it is these two brothers that are both sheep farmers that live right next to each other. They inherited the family farm and they haven't talked in 40 years. And it like is this like super stark movie where you're like, what is happening? Like, why are these guys not talking? And you don't even find out they're brothers until like, you know, 30 minutes into the movie. But then all of their sheep, like one of the brothers sheep, who's kind of the jerk brother. And you're kind of like, ah, I kind of hate that guy. Um, the other brother is like the guy that always wins. And then there's like the grouchy old brother. I mean, they're both super old. They're both like 90 years old in the movie. Um, and yeah, one of their sheeps contracts this thing. I think it's called scapies or something. And it's a disease that like, if it spreads in sheep, sheep start dying like crazy. And um, this movie is far from a dystopia, but it feels just like, so it just like made me think of, you and me, Bob, and with this theme of separation and like how sad it would be to like live ex exactly right next to each other, you know, and like literally no one else lives within like hundreds of miles of these two guys. Um, and yeah, just like how they're like so close, but so far. And oh, did I even say the name of the movie yet? Yeah, you did. Okay. Rams. Rams. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it has like one of the most emotional endings that you can imagine. I mean, there's so many just like heartbreaking and just like it like just digs you deep. Um and it like if you ever want to know what it like granted I went to Iceland in like summer, so like I did not um yeah, dig that deep into like what it feels like to be in Iceland in the winter, but this like movie like much in the same way that um, Quaron's movie Children of Men will like transport you to a new world. This like transports you like directly to Iceland and into this like weird little pandemic that's happening in this strange part of the world. And I just like, I don't know. I just feel like it's a movie worth watching. So I just wanted to bring that one into it for the, the old health pandemic for us. It looks great. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll just, I'll just add a tidbit. I'm looking this up. The yeah. all of the sheep in the movie are credited as actors. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Finally. <laughs> they deserve it. Yeah. They are like could not they play a huge role. So <laughs> that's hilarious. What a nice little tidbit. Yeah, you gotta watch it. So I'm not spoiling it because I assume neither of you have seen it. I haven't. Yep. Bob, did Thank you have you, one for pandemic category? Um, actually I had children of men as well. So yeah, we can move on to the next category. Nice. Do you want to lead us off? Why don't you pick one off your list? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, for, this is a little bit of a 
curveball. But for the economic crisis, I chose the movie The Florida Project. And I did so, you know, it's a movie that ostensibly is just a, you know, viewing of this family in the current times. But I, I think it plays as a dystopia because it, they're living in really awful conditions. And so for them, this is a dystopia. They're, it's um, like a white working class mother and daughter. And they're living in hotels because she's out of work. And the hotels are really close to Disney World in Florida. So hence the, the name of the, the movie, The Florida Project, was what they called the building of Disney World before they gave it a name. And why the movie is so interesting is it's, it actually feels like moonlight to me, the way that it's so intimate and gets such closeness to these characters and how complicated they are. Like the mother is kind of an anti or like a villain in some ways, but she's complicated. And um, it's kind of like moment to moment in a day or two of their lives. And it, it shows basically what economic hardships look like. And it, in a sense, it's also about race and racism as well um, in the ways that, of course, you know, these are white people. However, the, the lack of part of the movie is a critique of where we are in capitalism at this late stage. You know, it's, it's intentionally set up against Disneyland, you know, where capitalism, the height of capitalism, sorry, Disney world, but that system failed these folks. And part of the reason it failed was because of the failures of the civil rights movement, not being able to do more. Um, you know, as Martin Luther King in his last years was doing a poor people's movement, you know, trying to bring together poor whites and poor people of color. Um, and so you have these white folks who are fighting against everyone and not able it's also a movie of separation. They're not able to be in coalition fighting for, you know, better economic conditions for everyone. So yeah, that's the Florida project. How about you all? Yeah, Bob, I'll just say that's, it's a great movie. Uh, It it actually, another fun fact here that tops the 2017 list for Nick Lane, our good friend and film expert for his best film of 2017. So how about that? Yeah. The thing I, the thing I love about that movie uh, to, to kind of bring it back to the cinematography of children, men, what, what, Florida Project does a really great job of to get you into that world. The the director and director of photography really purposely filmed everything from this this angle and this this height that was uh, level with the the main character, this, mm. this little, little girl Mooney, and and it creates and it's kind of this subtle thing, but once you notice it, it's hard not to pay attention to that throughout the film. And, and so you're really seeing everything through her lens and I mean, just really subtly, but it, it's, so it's a bit lower than it would have normally normally be for, you know, if it's just an adult. And I, I always love that little touch about that. that movie. Nice. I yeah. didn't know that. 
Yeah, that's, that's awesome, Dave. Yeah, why don't you go next, Dave, on economics? Yeah, so there's one I want to talk about that kind of bleeds between economics and, and really inequality with uh, classism in mind. Um, but we'll, we'll categorize this in, in economic. And th- this is one, I think, just category that's a pretty broad one. So there's a lot of dystopian films that, that fall into this. Um, and so the, the movie I wanted to bring up is an old one. It's from 1927. It's directed by Fritz Lane, and it's a movie called Metropolis. How oh, nice. And I, I don't know if you'll touched on this in previous episodes, um, but it's... It's a film that I I took two film classes at our alma mater of CU, okay. home of the Buffs and the Gentleman Buffs, of course. Yes. Nice, nice Dave. <laughs> and um, and one of them we we studied this this film, and I hadn't seen it. You know, honestly, I haven't seen it in a long time, but kind of brought it back. This brought this to front of mind, and so. For, for a little background, it's it's a German film, it's a silent film, but it's one of the first kind of dystopian futures that was ever presented on screen. Mm-hmm. And so it's set in the year 2026, not too far out from where we are now. So about 100 years from when the, the movie was actually created. And it's, it's, it's clearly like a futuristic depiction of New York City. And, and, you know, visually, it's just a really incredible film. If you consider it was 1927... And the visual effects and the depiction of this massive city of Metropolis are just amazing. I mean, think like neon lit skyline, skyscrapers, monorails, flying buses, you know, all in black and white. But no one had really seen a futuristic city like this depicted before. So, And then this movie, you can see its impact on all these other futuristic sci-fi dystopian films like Blade Runner. And and why why it's appropriate for this category? So it's all about this privileged class that's known as the Club of Sons, and they're run by this one sort of powerful industrialist. And the privileged class lives above ground. They enjoy the fruits of life, you know, art, leisure, sports. But it's all made possible by this robotic working class that lives underground in this area known as the City of Workers. And what what happens in the film is one of the elites, who's actually the son of the industrial leader, discovers the harsh truth when he, he ventures underground. And it, it's very clearly trying to show that capitalism, if unrestrained, will create this increasingly large division between the social classes, this rapid economic inequality, you know, just leading to the middle class evaporating. So it's very Marxist themes. And uh, it's a world in the movie where you know, capitalism's flourished, but it's been at the expense of, of the working class. So you've got this wealthy group living a life of luxury, and then below ground, the low class workers forced to work these massive machines to make the society run. And it, it's it's just an interesting film in a lot of respects, uh, and, and one that is a clear representation of the haves and the have-nots, and something that was a big worry back in the 1920s but it's something that's, you know, still applicable today, you know, hundred years later. So it's kind of an incredible thing to think about uh, that not only the way that it was visually displayed, but just that those themes have not really gone away mm. since then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's the crux of it. Like we're not learning from our mistakes, right? We're just like building on our mistakes. And I definitely, 
want to just build right off that because I have my, my movie is like basically an homage to Metropolis. Um, unless you want to comment real quick, Bob, go right ahead, Dave. Sweet. Yeah. So my movie that I picked came out in 1986 and it is kind of like the perfect blend of George Orwell's 19. Oh, sorry. I think it might, might've come out in 1985, but it's a perfect blend of Orwell's 1984 and Metropolis. And it is um, Terry Gilliam's um, Brazil. And I just felt like I couldn't not talk about Brazil because I haven't, I haven't mentioned it yet on the podcast. And I feel like it's one of the like top 10 dystopian films um, that has ever like, I don't know, sort of just like, it just like changed the direction and it takes all the visual effects of Metropolis and it, puts you in this world like i think it's opens and it says like this is happening somewhere in the 20th century and it has this like super upbeat like you're kind of going into an ad um and it's just like the there's this famous ben franklin quote that is like the bureaucracy is expanding to meet the needs of the expanding bureaucracy and i feel like that is like the summation of the movie brazil where it's just like paperwork and it's like oh yeah your husband died you need to sign here and it's like okay here's your receipt for your husband's death and you i just need you to stamp these three things and it's just like but it's all from like monty python i mean terry gilliam is like monty python um influence but it's like not quite as like silly as like a monty python movie of course it has like a real backbone to it and i just like when I was thinking of like economics and bureaucracy, it doesn't make it quite as like deep a point as Metropolis does, but I did love the fact that it like is definitely showing us what like it gives us these intimate looks into like these like really strange moments, like where there's this woman getting her like face rubbed and it shows you like what makeup might look like in this weird world. Or like there's a scene where they're eating this crazy food, which like, I just feel like Brazil hits on like every point of like a dystopian movie. And it's like, this is what it might look like. And Oh yeah. I mean, the ending is super weird as well. Um, I'm not going to spoil it. I guess we're just not spoiling movies, which seems fine to me, but yeah, I love that. Just like every time you like cut open a side of a building, there's like pipes flowing out and it's just like all the bureaucracy and pipeline and like all the, HVAC systems just like come out into the world and it feels like they're trying to keep it organized and behind scenes. But like every time like someone breaks through a wall, it's just like all these random like Monty Python pipes that are just flowing into the world. So yeah, I mean, mostly I just fit it into the economics because it fits there. Okay. But I just think Brazil is just like, mm, it's just a great movie and just like, we'll get your head scratching, you know? Yeah, Dave, now you bring it up. I, I totally, totally see the Metropolis influence on that. It, it, it's hard not to. Right. And it's such a, you know, Terry Gilliam's just such an amazing director, but that, that movie in particular is just bizarre. But, but that's, you know, that's, that's the dystopia of it. It's just a bizarre world that he throws you into. It's, it's a really, really great movie. I'm glad you didn't spoil it because that's one. That I feel like a lot of people haven't spent the time to to see, and it's it's well worth it. Yeah, yeah, super weird ending. Yep. Um, well, I'll just give the contact, and we'll leave the listeners 
Um, knowing that this will, the week after this, it's going to come out with part two of our movies with our dear friend, Dave Harris. And we're just going to just record back to back tonight. And, um, yeah, I guess I don't want to leave you guys too much on a lurch. So, um, we'll, um, just to end it, I'll give the social media coordinates and we'll say goodbye and then we'll come back in for next week's episode and we'll start a new recording. Okay, bum. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to contact us, you can get us at DavePeachTree at gmail.com. You can get us on the Twitterverse at bmaze19. Hit us in thriving underscore in underscore dystopia on Instagram or check out our new website at thrivingindystopia.com. And we are loving where this is going and can't wait to see you all next week. So... Um, yeah, thanks so much for part one, y'all, and <laughs> love to get you on this cliffhanger. We'll see you next week, Dave. Dave. Bob. Dave. Dave. Bob. What's up, Driving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. Finally, the new outro song is today's special, Jam Tomorrow by Dr. Turtle. Have a good week and see you next Tuesday. Bye.